Isaiah 61, while you're turning there, you know, <clears throat> being 55 years old, which is kind of young for some people, kind of old for some of us, but 55 years, you've, you've, you've faced a lot of, of uh, issues, um, you faced a lot of obstacles, and sometimes you get tired of it. Sometimes you don't like to keep trying. And you get discouraged. You get discouraged trying to patch things up uh, between you and somebody else. You get discouraged when, when things stop working. Um, this message is for us. This is, I kind of want to get somewhere, obviously, when you're going through, ooh, that's nice and loud. Uh, I want to get somewhere in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra on the actual mechanics of restoring relationships and uh, even restoring sanity. <laughs> um, I mean, the Bible says God has not given you the spirit of fear, but God gives you the power uh, of love, uh, the, the, uh, gives you, he restores love, um, sound mind, and what else? Love and power and sound mind or something like that. Yeah, sorry. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. That's the order. And so he does give sound minds. We sometimes just wanted to wave a little magic wand and it just, poof, happened. But he actually puts us on a path. Jesus didn't say, uh, just believe me. Now, that's what gets you saved. But follow me actually changes you, actually restores what sin has stolen from you. So I want to talk to you about overcoming the discouragement that keeps you from rebuilding. Because anybody who's ever attempted to live and do right has been discouraged at the fact it is hard. And when you, when you go for, and really, when you go for a long period of time where you've been backslidden, and then you say, I wish I could get back in church. I wish I could start reading my Bible again. You look at all the rubble that's accumulated in your life, and you go, man, I don't even want to try. And I want you to overcome that. Father, we bow before you and ask you to help us hear your word this morning and be ready for you to, to God, impress our hearts that, it, it must be done. We weren't given these lies for us to throw away. You've given us chance after chance after chance, new mercies every morning for a reason. I pray that we would take it very serious that we have a chance, an opportunity. We have a reason this morning to rebuild some things that the devil has destroyed. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, just help me be a blessing to your people and encourage them and be a help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now we're going to go to Nehemiah, but right now I need you to go to Isaiah chapter 61 and just look at this verse uh, because it is our theme verse this month. But 61 and verse 4, <clears throat> I want you to look at verse 1 where Jesus quotes from the first part of the chapter and he says this, and speaking of himself, he says, verse six, chapter 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me. And who's the me there? Who's actually going to end up quoting this? I just said Jesus, so stay with me. So this is Jesus actually quoting. He says, the Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me, He has enabled me, He's appointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's a, a wonderful thing. And to proclaim liberty to the captives. We'd say slaves. 
and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now also the balance side is that the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort. Here's that good part again, all that mourn. Verse 3, to appoint them that mourn in Zion, to point unto them, to, to actually provide for them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for what? The oil of joy for all our mourning, the garment of praise in place of the spirit of heaviness, that they, here's the they, and I want you to circle the word they there if you would in your Bible, and I'm going to connect it with another they in a moment. How many of you have been born again this morning? Put your hand up. How many you know you're saved? Not because you're any good, but because you just trusted Jesus Christ. There was a day and an hour you just cried out to him and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, save me. All right. He gave you praise for the spirit of heaviness. He appointed a, a new life to you that were mourning. He gave you beauty for the ashes that you were living in. And it says that they might be called the trees of righteousness. Notice a tree usually produces some sort of fruit, doesn't it? And where do we get our fruit from? The fruit of the Spirit. The planting, we're the planting of the Lord that He might be glorified. So your life is for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to glorify God. It's to please Him. Now you come to verse 4. Look at this. And they, who's the they there? The they who've been given a second life. Amen. They who have been moved from ashes to, um, uh, uh, looking for my, to beauty, from, uh, given the joy, the oil of joy. Those who've been saved, now we should buy, build the old wastes. The they there is those who've been saved. They, we, shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. So <clears throat> this month's focus is on rebuilding broken things. You can look at, you can look at the world, you can look at life, and you can see a lot of broken things. But there, not only have I been given a second, uh, a, a second chance and a new life, and I've been given a, um, you know, uh, everything that's good and eternal, uh, but also I've been given a task of rebuilding some things. Now, I called this whole month uh, uh, rebuilding, but also battling discouragement because you're, you're going to be facing the fact that you, you, you know, oh, I've been through this before. I tried to give up cigarettes, and I failed. Yeah, I mean, you ever, don't have to raise your hand, but just agree. You say, yeah, I know that feeling. So we're working through the books of uh, two key books, uh, builder books in, in the Bible, Nehemiah and Ezra. You all right? Would you like me to turn it a small bit so you can see it a little bit? How about that? I want to make sure everybody over here sees it too. Yeah, I know. I gotta. Next time I'm moving you, that's for sure. All right. Okay. So, that's all right. I'm just giving you, I'm winding you up. So, we've looked at Isaiah 61 4, and we live in an age when it's not unusual, it's not usual that we repair things. We patch things or we rebuild things. Now, constantly things are getting old, that's for sure. But the question is, what do you do with old things? And don't think of. Don't think of people for <laughs> What do you do with old things? I mean, look, cars back uh, 30 years ago and cars now, I mean, everybody wanted to buy a new car. This 30 years ago was the bee's knees. It was the big deal. Now it's got to be shinier. It's got to be more pretty. The, the paint's got to pearl. It's got to change color as it drives by. But you know where it all ends up? 
I don't care how good your paint job is, that's where it's going one day. What do you do with old things? Uh, how about the phone? How many of you remember these kind of phones? I mean, I'm not even going back to the original big, looks like walkie-talkie phones and things. But you know where those phones ended up? I mean, the number of phones, lithium batteries are toxic, and yet they're ending up in water supplies and, and city dumps and things. Old phones thrown away. Um, I had uh, uh, mobile phones that when you first got it and you got it on a plan and you paid for it over 18 months, originally cost five and 600 euros. Remember that? And it lasted you three years. And then you went and you bought another one, and you thought, wow, I got a better phone. <laughs> you know, when I was a child, we had one phone in our house, and we had it all the years I grew up, we had the same number. I think I could even remember the number if I took a moment at it, thinking about it, six-digit number. And, um, uh, you know, I, my great-grandmother still had a, a, a phone with a party line. You could, twi you could turn the crank and pick it up, and uh, uh, all the people on the street would hear it ring, and they'd all go, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> it's a party line. Things have changed, haven't they? Ah, uh, how many of you remember that thing? I mean, I remember when, when uh, they, th there were channels on the UHF. So there were 12, 13 channels, and then you switched on UHF, and there were more <laughs> out there. You know where that ends up? I mean, all our technology, everything that gets old, ends up in a big bin. <clears throat> and people spend a fortune for TVs. Well, again, I, I'm glad I grew up kind of in the day I, I, there are some times I look, I wish I had grown up in different times, but I'm glad I grew up, I, I, uh, we had a TV. It was one of the most fascinating things. One side was a TV, the other side was the stereo record player. Wow, man, we were high tech. It was called Hi-Fi, not Wi-Fi, Hi-Fi, high fidelity. But when that thing didn't work, you called a man, he came out there, boy, he came all dressed up and, uh, overalls and electric stuff, all uh, uh, pens in his pockets and tools and stuff and toolbox, and he's pulling out all these tubes and wires and stuff. It was magic. It was wonderful. And that television lasted us decades. <clears throat> Doesn't last anything now. Clothes. I got clothes twice a year, once at Christmas and once just before starting school. And they had to last until I grew out of them. But today's clothes, man, you, I guarantee you, now some of you ladies got clothes that go back to uh, Queen Elizabeth, I don't know what, <laughs> her inauguration. But you haven't worn them since Queen Elizabeth was inaugurated. <laughs> Not your head, ladies. You say, I need new clothes. You say, open it up, gentlemen, and bring them out, lay them on the, on the bed, and say, why don't you wear these? But we wear, we constantly are looking trying to get new clothes and stuff, but I wore patched pants. How many of you actually had pants that your mom put patches on because you put holes in them, amen? Now they sell them that way. <laughs> wow, my mom would make a fortune. Goodness, what a thing, man. You know, uh, yeah, this generation, I, I really get perturbed at this generation demanding that everybody care about the economy. My generation did. We drank out of glass milk bottles that were picked up the next morning. We never wasted anything. We never picked, we never bought anything that had plastic covering it. 
all of the toys that you bought were on the shelf. You picked them up and you put them in your basket. You took them home. There was no packaging to it. How many remember that stuff? There was nothing made out of plastic. Everything's made out of metal or it's made out of wood. Somebody sold the premillennials back, back in the 1970s and 1980s into a new concept that said, throw stuff away. That's what they did. Uh, we patched our clothes. Uh, I drove, uh, actually, my, um, my family drove cars for 20 years. I was so glad one of those cars finally died. My dad had to bury it. <clears throat> you know, we went to bed at 10 p.m. There was nobody up after 10 p.m. in our house growing up. Uh, things just lasted back. When, so don't you talk about, oh, uh, we're finally getting to where we can care for the environment. No, my generation did. Now, my generation also gave the, uh, uh, you know, the nuclear bombs, and they were, I mean, they were pretty stupid in other ways, but we cared about the environment. <clears throat> but everything today we purchase is quickly wasted and thrown away and dumped for something we think is new and cheaper and popular, including Bibles. <laughs> Somebody get that phone. There was, there was your King James Bible. Then they came out with the international version. Then they came out with that new international version. Oh, I don't want a King James Bible. I want an international Bible. Then they had the new Revised Standard Bible. Then the new Jerusalem Bible. Then the new King James Bible. You know, uh, our culture is into just getting something that says new. You don't go and buy the same old, same old uh, laundry soap that your mother used. You've got to buy something that's new, don't you? And then there's food. Now I'm going to hit you where it hurts. Food. Over in the UK, BBC Radio 4 conducted a simple research where they, and they, they did a program called Costing the Earth. They found that in the United Kingdom, people waste about 20 billion pounds worth of food a year. What that means is they don't even eat it. They arrived at the figure by using statistics from the British Department of the Environment, the Food and Rural Affairs, and it worked out at almost a thousand euros a person of food that they have bought, but they don't eat. They don't even cook. It's just thrown away. Here is another staggering statistic. Nearly half of the food produced in the United States, nearly 50% of all food produced in the United States is thrown away. You know why? Now we're talking from the time that the farmer uh, harvests the apples and they don't come out the right size. So it's a little bit smaller, maybe it's got one little lump on the side, or maybe it's not quite the color red, and they trash it. 50% of the food that is produced in America never is eaten, and it's thrown away. So we live in an age when most of the things that we own, the things that we eat, the things that we wear, the things that we drive, are just thrown away in just a few years. Yet our, parents, our grandparents, you know, when they had something that broke, you know what they did? They fixed it. They never wasted anything. Now, what's the difference? Well, we have too much. I was at Costa Coffee in Ballincollig just earlier in this week, and a young woman, maybe 25, she ordered her coffee, and then she pulled out this wallet with a hoist pulled out this wallet out of her purse, and I couldn't help but notice how huge it was, filled with credit cards, loyalty cards, coupons, 
and a stack of 50-euro notes. I didn't take a picture of it, don't worry. But, <laughs> but I had to stop myself from looking. There's nothing wrong with having money and having lots of it. I don't care. But having a lot of money has made for a lot of spoiled brats who throw things away because they don't need to keep them. They can just buy something else. Second reason, go to James chapter 4. We only consume. James chapter 4. Now I'm going to getting somewhere with this. Just stay with me. James chapter 4 and verse 1. <clears throat> We only consume now. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence? James 4, 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you, Christian? Come they not hence? Don't you blame the devil. They come from your own selves, even of your lusts that war where? In your body, in your members, in your brain. All three of the brain cells are fighting together. <laughs> Verse 3, you lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain, ye fight and ye war, yet you have not because you ask not. Verse 3, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss, also that ye may, Nita, I got a visitor, also that ye may, what's that next word there? Consume it upon your lust. Mama's, grandma's got to come get you. What do they call us today? Consumers. Consumers. That's all they think we're made for. Advertising, news media, everything is money. Everything is what they can get off of you, advertise, get you to buy, so that you go out and buy it. Doesn't matter how many times you buy it, just keep buying it. And what are they counting on? That you want it and that you'll eat it, and that you'll wear it, and then you'll throw it away, and you'll get something else. It's called consumerism. So we're consumers now. We're no longer savers or builders or patchers. We've been relegated to be just animals, waiting for the next fad to come out and buy into. I was at, a, I was at Euro, at the Euro store here in Ballincolly, and there's a whole row of those little spinners. Do you see those spinners? Things? <laughs> They can't get rid of them for three euros, man. Just somebody else come up with a new fad. Got to buy me a, what's the purpose? A spinner. What is the purpose of that stupid thing? But millions of them got sold. Third reason, what's the difference between us and our grandparents? We live in ruin. You know, I guarantee you, I don't care what your parents were like. I don't care what your, what your uh, uh, neighbors, families are like. What is your family like? I bet it's not like it's supposed to be. Now, honestly, life has never been perfect ever since we've been kicked out of the garden, but things are not better today, folks. I don't care what people say. Well, I think things are better. Not when seven and eight-year-olds know more about sex than 18-year-olds did just 30 years ago. Not when there are more than 50,000 heroin addicts in Ireland. Don't you tell me it's a better day. One drug center, one drug center in Ireland provides methadone to 12,000 addicts a day. That's Dublin. You know what they want to do now? They want to allow, and they are opening up huge halls where you can go in and you can shoot up. And they provide you the needles 
and the, the sterilization and the safety and the love. We live in ruin when so many people contemplate suicide every day. Every day it goes over in their mind. We're, you know the worst of it all? We have so much, we only consume, we live in ruin, and the worst of it all, the difference between us and our grandparents is this. We don't mind. We just, we've gotten used to living this way. We say, so what? It's just the way things are. We're used to it. So how do you get over that? Well, maybe there are some things that should be thrown away, amen? Maybe there's some things that ought to be quickly gotten rid of. I'll talk about that soon. But I know there's some things that should be repaired, no matter how much it costs you and how much time it may take. And that's why we're studying these two great books, Nehemiah and Ezra, because they're all about repairing broken things. That's why I like them. So what did Nehemiah face? Go back to Nehemiah chapter 2. Just before Psalms, then go back before Job, and you'll see three books together, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. But Nehemiah is where we're going, chapter 2. <clears throat> what did Nehemiah face? Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. We've already read this, but you know, it's, it's the foundation for the steps we have to take later, and so let's settle it. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 11, so I came to Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah. He arrives in Jerusalem. He was there certain days, actually three days. And I arose in, that, in the night and I had a, some few men with me, verse 12. Neither told I any man what my God hath put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon, no other horses. I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, into the dung port, and I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. So what's he looking at? Rubble. And I viewed the gates thereof that were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, to the king's pool, and there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. It was just so rugged, I, I couldn't even get over it. Then he walks, and he says, Then I went up by the night by the brook, and I viewed the wall, and I turned back and entered into the gate of the valley, and so returned. I made a sort of a, a circuit around Jerusalem. Verse 16, and the rulers of the city, the nobles, the people that were the movers and shakers, the people that had money, the people that tried to govern that little bit of rubble, the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that ultimately did the work. Verse 17, there came a day, then said I unto them at a special gathering, Ye see the distress that we are all in. How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no more be a reproach. Then I told them of the, good, of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Yes, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. I want to just stop there for a second, and I want you just to, before we get to the encouragement part, go back and realize what Nehemiah faced. Number one, he faced, he looked over at an entire city that was in ruins. He's standing on the north corner of the ruins of Jerusalem on day one. This is day one where he says, this is what we're going to do. 
and he looks out on the biggest repair project you could ever imagine. He and his small band of men, women, and children are taking a look around as they're gathering their, their shovels and their, their pickaxes and their wheelbarrows and their, their trowels. What do they see? Well, they saw an entire city ruined. It wasn't just a little corner. You know, I've, I've, uh, 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 I've looked into and I've mowed some, some uh, and I, one of the hardest jobs I think I've ever done in my life was I had an a evangelist friend named Art Wilson who was getting up in age. He was about uh, 62 years old. <clears throat> anyway, um, aren't you 62, Eric? Not yet, 61, okay, okay, he was 61 years old. Anyway, he was getting up in age, and uh, anyway, I, I don't know what possessed me, but I said, is there anything you need me to do? And he says, I sure do. I've got an acre <laughs> that needs to be mowed. And I thought when he said mowed, you know, you get to ride on those mowers, you, know, you drive around, you know, and you mow the grass. He said, no, you're going to need some help. So I got three other guys with me, and we drove out to his his, it, looked, it looked like a, I didn't know what else to call it, but a farm. He didn't have any animals, but he had a lot of acreage. And there's one acre that had grass that was probably five feet tall. I said, okay, where's the mower? And he reached back behind him, and he got a scythe. <laughs> I thought we were going to fight, you know, that thing. I had no, I had never picked up a scythe. Now, what a scythe is, if you don't know, there's a pole, like a broom pole, but on the bottom is a curved uh, blade. Yes, you know exactly. And all four of us get these sides. He says, now mow. <laughs> and it meant that you had to just swing into and cut just a, maybe six inches at a time an acre. I don't think I ever hurt. I mean, Rodell, I can only relate to you with aching after, I think we worked 14 hours that day. 14 hours. It was, now, my point is this. I worked on one acre. These guys are facing an entire city of ruin. They're having to tackle a project that was incalculable. It was overwhelming. What else did they see? They saw their past. They saw a lot of history. You know why a lot of people don't do anything? Why they don't read the Bible? Why they don't come to church? Why they won't even try and get right with other people? Because of their past, just haunts them. Just goes over in their mind. They hurt me. They said this. Uh, I got hurt last time I was at church. Nobody appreciated me. Nobody listened to me. Nobody loved me. Nobody talked to me. All the past. Well, they, the Israelites had a lot of past, too. See, when they look at those walls and they looked at that rubble, there were houses in there that were 500 years old. There's a temple there that had been built 400 years earlier by Solomon. The walls had been built by David nearly 450 years earlier. They, this was a lot of history looking at them. Go to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings, you go to the left there, 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings 3.1. 1 Kings 3.1 says this, And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh king of Egypt, and he took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her unto the city of David, 
until he had made an end of building his own house, his palace, and the house of the Lord, and the wall of Jerusalem round about. So he's polishing off everything his daddy had started. Go to chapter 9 and verse 15. 1 Kings 9, 15. By the way, building projects always cost taxes and cost money. It says, and this is the reason of the levy, the tax which King Solomon raised for to build the house of the Lord, the temple, and his own house, and the city, the little town village section of Jerusalem called Milo, and the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, and Megiddo, and Gezer. Uh, the, uh, uh, the building program was going on in, in, in Solomon's day big time. But now they're looking at ruin, looking at rubble. So they're seeing all the history and they're remembering, boy, what, 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 what used to be. You know what I hate used to be? That's why today I want to be more excited about living for Jesus than I did yesterday because I don't want to be known as a used-to-be Christian. I don't want to be someone who used to read his Bible through. I don't want to be known as, a, as somebody who used to go soul winning, who used to be at church regularly, who used to, to, to love God and live for God and passionately want to do something for God. I don't want to be one of the used to wuzzers. Amen? I don't mean there are going to be times where you have to step back, you got to recoup and you re, uh, uh, regroup and, and get focused again. But I don't want to go down in history. I want to be a part of it. Amen? To the very end. So when you've got history, and Ireland's got history. When I first came to, came to Ireland, I wrote a track called How to Get to Heaven from Ireland. Should have brought that today. I just wanted to stand out of the gospel track how to get to heaven from Ireland. I couldn't get people to read the track. You know why? Because on the front, it had the map of Ireland, but I didn't include the northern six counties. Now, in my book, you know what? Those belong to England, you know? But I'm telling you, when I had something, I'm not taking that. Not Ireland. Oh my goodness. History, folks. I, I just didn't understand it. But history stopped people from reading a gospel track. You get me? I couldn't. I just couldn't understand. I said, well, just read it, you know. <laughs> history. Talk to somebody who says, well, I won't ever talk to so-and-so before. Uh, again, you don't know what they did to me. History. That's what they were facing when they looked at that rubble there. There's a lot of rubble and ruin. 160 years earlier, a king named Nebuchadnezzar broke down every single wall, every single building, every single tower, and every single gate. There were piles of rubbish everywhere. And it was a result of sin. Go to 2 Chronicles. You're in Kings, go to the right, find 2 Chronicles 36. You know, they who don't learn the lessons of history are destined to repeat them. That's why we're going back. That's why a lot of your Bible is history. So that you can know, I don't want to do the same thing. Second Chronicles. If you're in Corinthians, just, just, just give up. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles 36, verse 11. A bit of reading, but I want you to see something here at the end of Chronicles here. Chronicles means the record, the historical record. And Zedekiah, chapter 36, verse 11. Zedekiah was one and 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. 
And he did that which was, note these words, evil in the sight of the Lord is God. And he humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. He wouldn't do it. Moreover, the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much. They sinned very much. The priests and the people sinned very much, just like all the abominations of the heathen around them. They polluted the house of the Lord. Be like me bringing a, a nightclub atmosphere into this building on a Sunday morning. You see the, the, the use of the words there? Polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes over and over and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. So he kept warning them, but they mocked, verse 16, the messengers of God and despised his words, God's words. And they misused, and, and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy, not then. Therefore, he, God, brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with, sword, with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon the young man or maiden, old man, or him that stooped for age, for he gave them all into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Verse 18, And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, and of his princes, all these brought he to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem. Now we're getting up to speed. Now we know where it all happened. And burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon. Therefore, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath, which means she rested to fulfill three score and ten years, 70 years. So what you're looking at is a lot of bad leaders, priests, religious leaders, people, just in rebellion against God, living without God, going their own way. And you know Ireland's the same. Europe's the same. And the longer, the longer these nations go against God, they're storing up trouble in the future is going to come against these nations. And it'll be results, not, not the results of the Muslims. It won't be the results of, of the Chinese. Sorry, Yuming. Uh, uh, it won't be the results of North Korea. It'll be the judgment of God. Amen? On this nation, the more she turns her back on God. So, result, so they're looking at the results of sin. And... They were living in complacency. I made this statement a couple of weeks ago, but it just, it really hit me and really bothers me that I'm not bothered by sin like I should be. Amen? And that our nation is not bothered by how dark entertainment is and life has become dark. You know, when I got saved, I, there was a difference between Christianity and my old life. When I got saved, for the first time in my life, I started noticing the cover of the records that I listened to. Black Sabbath. I never paid attention to the word Sabbath. 
Led Zeppelin. All of these things, and every one of those things were dark and evil. And, and that, when I came to church, it was light, it was bright, it was joy. I went, wow, there's a difference. Some churches you can't tell anymore. Some Christians you can't tell anymore. Things have cooled down, things have cooled off. We're not so different like we should be, amen? And there's a complacency. There is a danger that you would get tired of listening to me and you'd be more comfortable somewhere where somebody's patting you on the back and rubbing your head and patting you on the head and saying, good boy. And you wouldn't mind. You wouldn't mind what Bible they use. You wouldn't mind if they even used a Bible. As long as you may, were made feel, I'm talking to you. As long as you were being made to feel better in church. That scares me. Worst of all, there was a complacency. 160 years later, Nehemiah looked at those people and says, how can you live this way? How can you live in your homes and with your families and in society and it's in ruin? So here are the facts. This describes us today. Here are the facts that apply to us here now. Number one, there's not one home, not one life that doesn't have a load of waste or ruin in it, if we would be honest. Maybe it's piled up in your past. Maybe you face it every day in the present. I know that there are some ruins and rubble in our life that is visible, but most of our ruin as Christians is invisible. It's emotional. It's mental. And it's spiritual ruin in most people's lives. And strangely, we don't feel like we have any need. You say, oh, you're talking to Christians. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> well, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really need to, to get right with God, Pastor. I'm okay. That's complacency. Do you know it, it, the command? He does go out. The command goes out that all men ought to repent. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 says, God commandeth now that all men should repent. But do you know the majority of repentance commands in the Bible are written to Christians? Wow. So the person that ought to be softest and most yearning, Lord, I want to be right, ought to be us. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church, here we are, of the Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is Jesus speaking. Verse 15, I know thy work, speaking to the Christians, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because, here's the key, thou sayest, hey, I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Run down to verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, Christian, and what? And repent. 
There's not one person in this room who doesn't need to take this Bible and say, Lord, rebuild me. Say, I'm safe. I'm safe 37 years. Do you know uh, uh, the, the most encouraging verse in the Bible to me at this point in my life has been for the last about 20 years, has been Philippians, uh, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I'm yearning, keep working, keep working on me, keep hammering away, keep changing, keep fixing, keep molding. I want that. Don't know how to want anything more than that. Because the, the last thing I want to get is to where I go, I have need of nothing. I don't really need God. I don't need to read my Bible. I need to see what's on TV. I need to see what's on Facebook. I need to see what's out there uh, being played in music. I need to see who's popular. What are the, what are the Oscars going to be this year? Um, uh, what, are the, what are the other awards that they give? The, the, the Emmys? The Grammys? The, anyway, all these stupid things. Whatever. You know, if you feel like you really don't need to be right with God and get right with God, I'd say you need to ask God to help you feel like you need to be right with God. Because that's a terrifying set of verses. So we end up so used to and so accustomed to abnormalities like divorce and like separations. The divorce rate in Ireland, oh, it's so small. 4,162 people got a divorce in 2016. And that's only because it's very hard to get a divorce here. The separation rate is so high, and people who apply for separation, they live in separate rooms in their homes while they're waiting to apply for divorce, and they can't even measure the statistic of percentage of unhappiness in marriages. There's no way. They just know that it's widespread. But people are thinking that's normal. I have found that a lot of people don't want to get married because they don't want to live like mom and dad did arguing and fighting in the home. At first, when you argued with your wife, it cut you, it embarrassed you that it would ever happen, that you raised your voice, that the kids could hear it, that, 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 that it actually came to where you were like, I'm getting out of here. Then you got used to it. And without even thinking, you fall into an argument, sleeping in separate rooms. Lying has become a way of life for some people. I don't understand that. My, my dad and now my Bible put in me a fear of lying. But for them, it's a way of life. Yelling. Constant disrespect. People grow up in a home where there's... Listen, I know I'm being videoed and everything else, but if you spend more time yelling at your kids and not correcting them, you are a problem. Because God didn't tell you to yell at your kids. You know what he said? Ch uh, chasing them. Correct them. Get them to do right. And yelling at them doesn't make them do right. But kids grow up thinking that's all, that's child training. <laughs> Just say, don't make me get out of this chair. And you never get out of the chair. We get used to abnormalities like homes where it's always about me. You know, mom's in the kitchen or somebody's cooking or whatever. And everybody else is just sprawling around the house, playing, watching their stupid video and their phones and the TV and they never get up and they never help and they call it normal well I'm a guy I don't get in the kitchen I hope you starve 
pornography. You know, most girls are growing up today thinking that guys, this is what guys do. Not if they're saved and not if they fear God. Pornography is not right, it's not normal, and yet everybody just thinks, well, it's what guys do. Staying up late. People have gotten used to, they can't go to bed. They can't go to bed at a set time. They can't get up in the morning. They're, they're, they're eternally tired. Depression. I found the current statistic that shows that almost 600,000 people in Ireland are on long-term antidepressants. 600,000. Now, I'm not shaming anybody. They may have to have them for a little while. But let me tell you, when there's 600,000 people that have to have antidepressants, to operate. You shouldn't want to be that way, amen? You shouldn't want to be, well, this is normal. It's not normal. You know what most people are content with? A little creed. I've watched as people have taken their kids who don't go to church one day in their life, and there they are being marched off in their white suits and their white outfits, and they're being prepared for the great confirmation day, and they get walk away with 500 euros in their pocket, and it's abomination to God. You dare tell me, well, my kid's a good Catholic, or my kid's a good Baptist, and they're not in church, they're not reading their Bible, they're not living for God, and yet they've been confirmed. You know what? People are just satisfied. They think that's normal. Nobody gets a little too fanatical these days. I do. I do. We're used to the abnormalities as if they're normal. You know what? We're, when we're looking out at this, this society, and I can't even begin to describe what society's really like. I'm in a mixed audience. I'm in an audience of people who have sensibilities and really, really, really would not like me to be real with you about what's going on outside these walls and maybe in your own home. Have you ever checked on your kids' phones? But the kind of stuff that is in this society ought to make your stomach turn. And we've got to get to the place where we say, we can't, we, we, we can't let this be normal. That's why we build a whale. That's why we spent a fortune in hours and in money to, and, and in the cold Walking through Balancholic now for the 15, 16, 17, fourth year. Why we want us so much to be in the face of Balancholic is because this society needs us to live different and to say it's okay to have joy without a bottle. Amen. I want them to realize we're the new normal. Amen. Amen. See, that's arrogant. No, it's Christian. And Jesus came along, grown men who had piles of money up, who had, who had control of their life, and they met Jesus, and they heard him speak. They put it all behind us. I want to be with him. He's the new normal. <laughs> Amen. Worst of all, most of you not even try and rebuild. I'm looking at myself. You'll just continue to live with what you currently have. What they say, what do they say? You live with the devil you know. I'm not talking about your husband either. <laughs> now, what Nehemiah knew needed to be done, go back to Nehemiah chapter 2. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. I just want to go through this. Make my statement and then let it just 
work on your heart. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. We've already read it, but watch it again. Then said I unto them, and I love this. You see the distress that we were all in. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. How Jerusalem lieth waste. The gates thereof are burned with fire. Come now, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. And you know who laughs at you every day? You go a whole day without reading your Bible. You know who laughs at you every day when you don't carry a gospel track and you don't give it into somebody else's hand? Do you know who reproaches the name of Jesus Christ and mocks your Christianity every day that you blow it at work or at home and you trash your, your, your Christianity and you trash your testimony? You know who laughs at you? The devil himself. And Nehemiah says, we got to stop this. We've got to build up some walls so we don't keep embarrassing God. Keep going. Verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, hey, let's do it. Let's rise up and build. So they strengthened, they encouraged their hands for this good work. And I thought of a couple of things. Number one, Nehemiah knew that he had to try. He had to try. At any time, and I don't, I'm not good at personalizing the entire Bible before you. Let me tell you, there are times where I have decided not to try to fix things. And I've been too proud to try to humble myself and say, you know what, I'm wrong. Am I the only one? Amen. You know, if anything's ever going to be done to fix your home, fix a relationship, you need to try. Don't wait on them. You need to try. They, they, the call was for them to rebuild. And they weren't going to try and build weapons or, you know, listen, if I had a marriage counseling seminar, how to crush your wife with facts. The men would pay me 100 euros apiece to come in here. Oh, let me tell you, this is how you defeat your wife. This is how you win the argument. People would come, you know that? But they didn't need to build weapons. You know what they needed to build? Walls. And I'm going to get on walls here in the next few weeks about limits of what you're not going to say, about limits of what you're not going to do. They weren't going to build palaces. Oh, honey, let's just get away. Let's just move house. Let's just get away from it all. That's not going to fix you. You will carry your problem with you. Amen? You're going to rebuild some walls. And I mean a lot of them. A lot of walls and towers and gates. And that will be another time that I teach you about what those things are. Third, secondly, he had to take the lead. Somebody's got to take the lead. Thank God for people with a burden, with a vision, with a heart that will humble themselves and just start doing something to make a difference. Thank God for people who take the lead. Well, who do you think you are? Nobody, just nobody else is doing it. When I first came to Ireland, I started preaching. I mean, I, had, I must have had two or three uppities on Station Road come and visit. Sometimes they would just come into church and then leave or whatever. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Did you get permission to have this building and all this rubbish? And I mean, I'm just sitting there going, Lord, I don't know who I am. And I remember, I remember telling somebody, said, uh, somebody asked me, he said, why do, you think God, why, do you, why do you think God brought you here? 
And I just looked at him and I said, because somebody else who should have been here didn't come. And so you're stuck with me. <laughs> so remember that next time you're wondering, why are we with him? Well, and you know what? That's okay. It's okay. I don't have to try to impress anybody. I'm just trying to do what's needed and respond and say, somebody's got to do it. I, wanna, I took the lead. I got qualified. I went to Bible college, but I don't know what I'm doing. I just know I got to do it. Got to do it. We need people who will humble themselves. We need husbands who will humble themselves and take initiative and start fixing their home instead of tearing it down. If I asked you, if I came up, I said, Bill, no, I don't want to use Bill. I always use Bill. Got to use somebody else. I said, Andrew, there you are. Let me find it. Andrew, tell me all the stuff about your wife that's just really wrong. He said, have you got, have you got time? <laughs> because we're so quick. We could, we could quickly rattle off all the things that are wrong with the other person. But then I say, are you willing to take the lead to fix that relationship? You have to clear away all that rubble. Take the lead. That's what it means to be a builder. We read the verses, says they shall build. They shall raise up. They shall restore, repair. All right, they're going to do it. We have to take the initiative. We need Christians who will take the initiative, start gospel conversations at work. I was, I was really embarrassed with myself. I got my hair cut. Some of you can tell. Uh, a week ago, I think I said it was last Monday or whatever. And I got the, the barber that I know is the butcher. <laughs> I don't like this barber at. I don't want to have my hair cut. I had it cut by her a couple years back. I never want to. Well, she was the only one that could do my hair. The other ones were, no, no, I can't do it. I got two more people. Oh, I got another one. So, okay. so I go sit down there. And I didn't want to give her the gospel again. Last time I talked to her, she was just silent. So this time I'm just silent the whole time. <laughs> and I'm telling her, don't cut so much off. Okay, no. No, this side's really sticking out now. Can you just balance it out? And she's like, I felt like she was, you know, in another world. But anyway, and I finished up and I came out and I said, shame on me. Because I couldn't take the initiative. I was carnal. I didn't care about her. I was mad at her. <laughs> and you know what? A lot of people probably were going to realize are in hell because we were stubborn. I'm, I'm not going to talk to him. Last, last thing, Nehemiah knew that he had to finish the job. One of the great things about the Bible is things are finished. <laughs> When Nehemiah started, you get to chapter 7, I believe it is, and it says, and they finished. <laughs> it's just nice to see something done. Anybody can start something. Hand somebody a broom, start sweeping. Five minutes later, they're back in front of the TV. I told you to sweep the room. Anybody can start. Very few ever finish. How did... All the people facing this possible work, number one, they trusted God's enabling power. we got to get back to that. Look at chapter 2 and verse 20. And he says again unto them, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. So if you're ever going to try to rebuild something, you're ever going to try to do something for God, you're going to do it under whose strength? God's strength. 
be good to actually start saying, Lord, he said you'd build your church. Lord, you said that you would, you would be with me when I'm in the midst of my enemies and they're trying to take me to court. And you told me not to prepare beforehand, but that you would give me the words at that very same hour to be a testimony for you. Lord, let me trust you once again like I used to. Trusting God's enabling power, following their leader. You know what all, the, all he was asking the people to do was to do as he was doing. So when he picked up the trowel and he picked up that wheelbarrow and they started mixing that mortar together and they picking up those bricks and those rocks and those stones and started putting up, everybody went, okay, let's do it. They're following their leader. You know, it's good to have a good leader. I watched the Germans. You give them a leader like Martin Luther and they have a reformation, man. You give them a leader like Hitler and they try to kill everybody on the planet. <laughs> they kind of they fought of the leader. Get you a good leader to follow, amen? Get you a good leader. They had one with Nehemiah. And then in obedient faith, answer the call. You know, the call went out. He said to them in verse 17, he says, come on, guys, let's build. You know what Jesus says? Go. Start churches. Go. Build churches, not the brick and the mortar, but people. Go. Make disciples. Go. Teach people all things that I've, I've taught you. Raise your families for God. Come on. Go. Answer the call. Say, I don't have anything to do. You got more to do than you want to admit. You just want a title, Celine. <laughs> Celine's been begging me for a title. You know what she does? She comes to the office and she's a blessing, especially because she aggravates Eric. It's marvelous. Keeps him in check. But, uh, you know, we need, we just need to do what God asks us to do. We don't have to be good at it. Just obedient faith. I guarantee you, these people, and we're going to talk about it when we're building the walls here. When they were building the walls, there were moms and dads and kids building, not professional construction workers, which is cool. It's also scary. Because <laughs> what kind of walls? <laughs> but they did it. And what made the difference was their passion and their desire. I'm just answering God's call. I'm just doing what, what we're supposed to do. Fourthly, they wanted to build. They wanted to build. I, I wonder, does anybody want to live for God today? Do you have to be dragged to church on a Sunday? Does it have to be a perfect day for you to come to church on a Sunday? They were going to do this because they wanted to do it. Check your heart. Are you complacent with how the way, the way that you're living? You're just okay with the fact that you've given up on old relationships and bad habits. You say, I'm not, I'm not even going to quit smoking anymore. I'm not even going to try because I know that I'll fail. If that's true, you better check and see if the Holy Spirit's in there because he doesn't quit. You cannot put the Holy Spirit and quitter in the same sentence. And then, most amazingly, they focused on restoring people's worship first. Go to Ezra chapter 1. One book back. I'm, I'm just finished here. <clears throat> Ezra chapter 1. You see, before Nehemiah was a couple of other guys, a guy named Zerubbabel and then this guy named Ezra. And I want you to see... When, when Ezra and Zerubbabel came and they looked out on the rubble of Jerusalem, do you know what their burden was? It wasn't the walls, not yet. That's going to be 
90 years later. You know what they were burdened about? Worship and people's relationship with God. And Ezra chapter 1 tells you this. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, the emperor of the world of that day, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a wall. Is that what it says? He says, I, I have this burden, I have this call to help build a house at Jerusalem. Build God a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea, Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel, for he is the God which is in Jerusalem. Here's the point. Before the walls were ever considered to be rebuilt, before the houses were ever focused on being rebuilt, before relationships were focused on being rebuilt, before bills were paid, before debts were reduced, before anything was tried to be fixed, the first thing they were going to fix was their relationship with God. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. So what is so profound, when we look and we say, you know, there's some things, maybe, maybe I haven't convinced you yet that there are areas in your life that need to be fixed, but I could list a dozen things right off the bat with bad habits, with, with what you watch on TV, the kind of friends that you hang, hang around with, the kind of stuff that you, you listen to on the radio, the kind of stuff that you read, the stuff that you're complacent with. If if you find no problem listening to 96FM and Red FM, and it doesn't bother you, you know what you need to do? You need to say, God, please bother me. I don't want to get used to listening to that rubbish. I don't want the devil having not even a quarter of an inch of my life anymore. And if I can't convince you that there are areas in your life that you need to rebuild and restore, I don't know what else I can do. I can just tell you this. Before you can ever get rid of 96FM, before you can ever get rid of the pornography, before you can ever get rid of the cigarettes and the alcohol and the, the prescription drugs, whatever is in your life, or the anger or the depression, before you can ever deal with that, you and God need to have some time together. You need to have some serious time where you write out a list of things that are broken and things of, of people that you know need God and that you have not witnessed to and that people are going to go to hell if you don't have a heart for them and you just pour out your heart. It may be 10 minutes. It may be an hour. It may be a week. I don't know what it is, but you must start there. You get that line between you and God cleared up and all that rubbish cleared out between you and there, you can walk on water. Not literally, but you know what I'm saying. Then you're ready to work on the walls. Then you're ready to work on your limits and on what you're going to allow into your life and where you're going to go and what you're going to do. Are you with me? Everybody with me? Let's apply this to all of us. Take a good, long, honest look at your home and your heart and your life. What's it like in your head? Don't answer that. What's it like in your home? What's it like when you're alone watching TV by yourself? What's it like if, if your pastor ever found your phone and accidentally tried a, a, a guess at the, I wouldn't do it, but if I guessed at your passcode and I got in, what would I find? What would I find in your history? Parents, do you know what's even on your kids' phones? 
take a good long look at what's in your home. The call of God is for us to follow our leader. I'm not following Nehemiah. You know who I'm following? Somebody far better. His name's Jesus Christ. Amen. We need to want to fix things. We need to want my life, our lives, to actually, actually be right. I mean, we all wish, when we got married, didn't we think that we were going to have the perfect relationship? Didn't we think that? And you go, it ain't that way. <laughs> it could be. It really could be. Work on your worship and your walk with God first. I love that. I don't, I don't think it's that hard. I think God made it very easy. He said, I'm not far from anybody. Just your iniquities, your sins have separated us. Just confess that, forsake it, and watch us get along if you'll put in some time and attention to me. You want to stop being bitter against your wives, gentlemen? Ladies, you want your husband to love you and be more sacrificial towards you? You want to be able to sleep at night? You want to live free of guilt and hurt of the past? Start with God. Start with God. Don't worry about, well, I'll try. I take this pill so I can go to sleep. Okay. Wouldn't it be better to get this thing right? Start with God. And then you can start rebuilding the right kind of walls against sin and against temptation. You say, I can't understand why I'm just so, why it's so easy for the devil to pull me down. Why I give in. Why my lust just, just gets activated and I can't stop it. You know why? This connection's not there. Today, we don't normally repair, patch, or rebuild things. You know what we do? We just throw away. We leave church. We go somewhere else. We change channels. We, um, uh, uh, we walk away, and we say, I quit. How do you get over that? I call it complacent discouragement. <laughs> New term. Somebody ought to pat, patent that. Amen? You know how you get ready over that? You need to space yourself. Look a good look. Good in the mirror, like it says in James chapter 1. Look at the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, and see who you really are. And then say, Lord, all you ever asked me to do is just follow you. And I do. I want to be just like you. I want to respond like you. I want to think like you. I want to let the mind of Christ be in me. I want to know what it feels like to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not thinking that I am by speaking in tongues, by the way, but filled with the Spirit to have the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I want to work on my worship, my walk with God first, and then I can start rebuilding my life that's in pieces, man, in pieces. One of the dangers in the 21st century in a first world country is on the outside, it doesn't look like we're bad. But you know what? On the inside, we are. And maybe in this room, and I would imagine there's somebody who'd say, yeah, there's nothing on the inside. I'm nothing but a facade. That's the first step is owning up and admitting that you're lost and you need Jesus Christ. You can't get saved till you want to be. Would you like to be? Father, we bow before you, and I ask you, God, as we talk about rebuilding, the hard thing is actually, it's easy when it's rebuilding someone else. It's easy when we talk about fixing something else. But when we look at our own heart and we say, how can we start there? How do we rebuild this mess? that is ourselves. Well, that's your business. That's your job. You can take and replace and put beauty in the place of ashes. You can give us the oil of joy in place of all our mourning. You can take away the sin and fill us with righteousness. 
It's amazing, guys. It's shame that people think that they can do it all on their own and that they just got to be good enough. They just got to pray enough. They just, they're doing everything backwards, guys. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe somebody in this room, would it be today to realize that this message is, is spread out in all different directions it was, was about getting right with you. Lord, repentance begins with the, with the sinner crying out to an all-holy God that ought to judge them and condemn them and send them to an eternity in hell and yet in mercy offers them forgiveness and invites them to come to the, His Son. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that there is, there is a way to be saved. I pray people take you very serious that the mess that they're in now is nothing compared to hell. Nothing compared to eternity without you. And the invitation is open to all and anyone who's not sure, who's been to church, read bits of the Bible, but never been born again. And today they, could, they should just cry out to you right now. Cry out, God have mercy on me and save me. I'm no good. Anybody knew just how wicked I was, they would run from me. Well, there you are. God won't. He's come all this way. He let wicked people crucify him. Let people spit on him. Let people torture him. Let people blame him. Let everything so he could prove that we need him. And he did all that three days later, getting up and saying, I can take you all the way to heaven if you'll trust me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you can trust him now. Oh, dear friend, you can trust him now. And Christian, that Savior you trusted is still calling you to follow Him. And there's no greater life. There's no sacrifice too much because He is the repairer of the breach. He is the Savior of your soul. And He can still do miracles. Would you let Him please? In Jesus' name, amen.